Amen. All right. John chapter number 17 this morning. As we look here, the Lord Jesus Christ, I know sometimes we look at uh, a particular gospel and we uh, kind of think just naturally that the book just kind of flows evenly throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ or the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of John is not like that at all. In fact, the, the bulk of the book entails, uh, well over a third of the book entails the final week of the Lord's life. Uh, and so there's a lot of focus here on what's taking place from chapter about chapter uh, 13 or 14 or so on up until uh, up until 15 is all just the upper room from 15 into now we're just moving from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. So really tonight uh, and what we're looking at now when this is taking place is taking place in the final night uh, of the Lord's public ministry as he is making his way to the cross. Uh, now, it's easy to kind of look and, and, and to think, you know, these men came and they took him from the garden, they arrested him, they took him in. But it's important to note uh, that the only reason that they were able to do that is because the Lord humbled himself and allowed them to. Uh, they did not have that power, uh, but, but he gave it them because he was on a mission. He was doing this because it's what God had sent him to do. Uh, and God loves you so much this morning that He did not want you to spend eternity separated from Him in hell. And all of us were born in a state in which we were separated from God simply because of the sinful nature with which we were born. Uh, it's important that we understand that, uh, that we do not have to do anything to deserve hell and separation from God. Our sin nature with which we were born is enough in and of itself to force God to disallow entry into heaven into His presence because uh, of the sinful nature. Uh, but because of the sinful nature, none of us can sit here this morning and say, I am without sin. All of us are sinners. Uh, if you, I, I enjoy, uh, I, I have to admit that occasionally, I enjoy my granddaughters giving their parents grief and the response being, man, those girls are sinners. Uh, and so they're just one and three. Uh, but more often than not, I'll, I'll catch Adriana saying, man, my daughter is such a sinner. Uh, and so, uh, and she's talking about Brooklyn. She's the sweet one. And I mean, they both have their moments of sweetness, but Brooklyn rarely has a sour moment, you know. Uh, and so you know, my son's looking back, yeah, right. Uh, and so at least when she's with me, she loves her pops. And so, uh, but you know, we're all sinners. And sometimes the world would have us downplay. You know, if I were to this morning to, uh, to, to have taken the time to found some just news clips, uh, I could find news clips of, of reports where uh, the media and where the, the entertainment industry uh, is lashing out at anybody that stands up and says this is right, this is wrong, this is sin, this is okay, because the, the, the climate that we have culturally today is that you can do whatever you want, nobody can say this is sin or that's not. Uh, that, that is just so rejected by our culture today that we have to come to a place where we look at the Word of God honestly and understand that God has not changed. And I'm not standing here this morning as a pastor uh, on my own authority saying, hey, this activity and this activity is sinful. Uh, I'm only proclaiming what God has stated is sinful. Uh, and God is the one who makes that decision. Man does not have the power, the ability, the wisdom, or the authority to decide 
no matter who it is, uh, what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is righteousness, that belongs only to God. And so when I begin to understand that, I begin to understand that, hey, because of my sinful condition, I get what I justly deserve when God says, because of your condition, you must be separated from me. But God also says that I love you so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it a way that my justice and my holiness is satisfied, but yet my love opens a path for you to be reconciled to me. And so when Jesus Christ is now in our text this morning, making his way to making to, to causing that to be possible. He is on a journey that God has given him, uh, and he is now entering into a time of prayer. Now, the title this morning does not match the text that you would typically associate with the Lord's Prayer. Because what we think of when we hear the Lord's Prayer is, My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We think of what is really, theologically, it's more correct to to identify that prayer as the model prayer. They come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he goes through immediately into that and gives them an outline of prayer. It's not that he wants them to recite word for word the words that he gives in that prayer. He has given them an outline. This is how you go about coming before God uh, and making your petitions to Him and pouring your heart out to Him. I titled the message the Lord's Prayer this morning because the Lord is praying. He is actually here in a time of prayer. He is actually at this particular time and moment in His life beginning to feel the burden and the weight of the suffering that He is about to experience so that you and I could be reconciled to God so that we could be born again, so that we could be saved, not just from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of our sin in our lives today. Uh, many of you are here this morning uh, that are uh, that are in a time of your life, and, uh, and I say that because I know where many of you are uh, in your life and the struggles that you're currently going through, and I think it's fair that I could say this morning that, uh, that some of you are really feeling the pressure of the weight of the power of sin. Maybe the Lord has saved your soul. Maybe you've not yet found Him as your Savior yet or put your faith and trust in Him yet, but, uh, but you're suffering from uh, the oppressive power, the addictive power of sin, whether it be uh, whether it be in a narcotic, whether it be in a relationship that's not healthy, uh, whether it be in just a mindset, uh, things that we've done, uh, divisions that we've caused, and all of those things have come back upon us, and that's weight, that's pressure, that's a burden that we have to bear. It's a burden of sin. Listen, what Jesus is doing here is making it possible for you to be set free, not just from the penalty of the sin. He's paying the price, but from the power of that sin. He did not save our soul that we might live crushed under the power of sin. He saves our soul that we might learn to, through Him, live victoriously, freed from the power of that sin uh, and conquering it. And so Jesus comes here, and and as we (coughs) look here uh, at his prayer, uh, he is actually getting to a place where uh, where he comes and is going and making petition more for us than he is for himself. That's an amazing thing to me. The man is about to go to the cross. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be spat upon. He's about to have a crown of thorns pierced on piercing his skull. 
He is about to be uh, under, crushed under the weight of that heavy cross. He's about to be thrown down upon it with his raw wounds against it and have his arms and his, his, his hands and his feet spiked to it. He's then going to be lifted up in shame, completely naked and bleeding for you and I, to be ridiculed and to be mocked as he stands there or as he hangs there, to then struggle for a few hours for breath. And while he's doing that, God in heaven is taking not his love for his son, but his wrath for our sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ in that moment actually became our sin. And God pours out all of the wrath that it would take all of humanity and eternity to suffer. Jesus has the ability to suffer in a few hours because of his godness. The wrath of God will be poured upon him and he knows exactly what's coming. If you and I were in this predicament or were in this circumstance, we would be thinking, okay, I know what crucifixion is. I know what flogging is. I know what all of these things are going to require but we would have no idea of exactly how things were going to play out. Jesus knows exactly from moment to moment what's going to happen. He knows every word that's going to be spoken. He knows the, the, he knows the illegalities of the trials that he will undergo, uh, and they are numerous. He knows uh, when he stands there that he is free of guilt, that there is nothing that he's done that makes it worthy or necessary For him to be there on his own behalf, he is there on our behalf. And if you and I were in that circumstance, our prayer at this moment would just simply be, Lord, God in heaven, just help me get through this. Now, he felt the weight of that. He did say to his father at a time of prayer in the garden, Lord, if it's possible that this cup would pass for me, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. But as we look here this morning, Uh, Where we are, uh, he is beginning to make requests, and he does ask for a a moment, Lord, glorify me. But he also states in the prayer that the glory that he is going to be glorified with is your life and mine. And so his prayer is primarily for us. And so look this morning, if you would, in the first five verses, it says that we see that Jesus is asking the Father to restore his Glory. Notice in verse number five, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, that's a crucially important statement because Jesus is letting us know I am God. I was before the way that you see me now. He's praying, Father in heaven, as I sat in glory at your right hand in heaven before. I put on human flesh and walk the earth. Restore me to that place of glory. And so he prays and he identifies and again reveals to us that he is not merely a man, but he is God. He is God incarnate. He has put on human flesh so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. And verses 6 through 10, we see him shift the prayer from this point on as not for himself and not for his glory to be restored, but for you and I. And so as we keep that in mind, understand that how crucial and crucially important prayer is. Hey, listen, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? 
if Jesus needed to go to God and say, Father in heaven, would you help me fulfill your will? How much more do I need to go to God in heaven and say, Lord, will you help me fulfill your will for my life today? John Bunyan, and if you're not familiar, some of you that are newer may not be familiar with the name John Bunyan. Uh, if you've been in church for a number of years, then you would know it well, but he is the writer of a very famous book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan was put in prison. He was put in prison because he refused to take a license from the church uh, in England to preach. And as long as he refused, he was put in prison every time that he stepped. And they would even bring his daughter to his uh, prison cell and say, uh, let your dad know that if he'll not preach without a license, uh, then we'll let him go home tonight. Can you imagine tonight being in prison uh, and your only crime is that you preach the word of God? that you'd let people know how much Jesus loves them, uh, but you, you, you don't need, by the way, the, the, the sanction of, uh, of the presbytery of the church hierarchy. We need a call from God. And John Bunyan, as he sits in this prison cell, writes the Pilgrim's Progress and the journey of finding salvation uh, in Christ in, in a book that you could go to any bookstore now and even pick up, even though it was written in the 1600s. And John Bunyan, as he was in his cell uh, and, and as he learned even more of prayer, <coughs> in 1688 made this statement. And I believe there's a slide if you, up there that you can see a little bit what he looked like. But he said this, prayer is a sincere sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart and soul to God. We see Jesus doing that here. Through Christ, in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit, for such things as God has promised. Listen, if God has promised us many wonderful things, but I cannot achieve them on my own. I cannot achieve them in my own power. I cannot save my own soul. I cannot be good enough to get to heaven. And once I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I cannot in my own power successfully live a life that brings him glory and that pleases him. Nor did he want me to. The whole point here uh, and what Mr. Bunyan is expressing here in prayer is it is the, it is the cooperative act of me living my life surrendered to him and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to guide my steps, to teach me things as I read the Word of God, uh, and with the assistance of the Lord Jesus Christ in His prayer. Listen, that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and He's doing two things. He's preparing a place for us, and He's making intercession for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for you, Christian, to be successful in your Christian life. He's praying for you to find the strength to face the battles that lie before you. He's praying that you will be protected from the, the, from the enemy. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, may I say to you emphatically that the price has been paid, your ticket has been bought, and all you need to do is put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary's cross and allow Him to become your Savior. And if you'll do that, He will help you to be born again. Uh, that spirit that died in the Garden of Eden will be resurrected within your life so that your spirit can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit so that He can guide your steps. And while all that's going on, Jesus is praying for you to put your faith and trust in Him. And what a wonderful thing to know that God loves us. And uh, Charles Spurgeon in 1892 made this statement, Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. It is the prayer that moves the power of God. God is not without power at any time. 
Yet our lack of prayer sometimes limits and hinders God's ability to work. And what God wants from us is to come to Him in a, in a, time, of, in a time of faith and our dependence being on Him and a time of prayer. Jesus is praying. It's, it's obvious from the, uh, from the vernacular here of His prayer that He's pouring His heart out to God on our behalf. It's not about satisfying his own need but helping us for his men the 12 or the 11 at this point that they would stand strong that they would be able to survive the onslaught of what they're about to experience that they would be drawn close to him that they would become powerful in the spirit of God that the world might be turned upside down and we know that God answers this prayer because that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts in the early church it's been said this morning that prayer is a sin killer It is a power bringer. It is a victory giver. Prayer is a holiness promoter. It is a dispute adjuster. It is an obstacle remover. And prayer is a Christ revealer. For it clarifies our vision and enables us to see the unseen. Prayer helps me to see the truth of the Word of God. Three thoughts this morning if you're following along with a handout. Number one this morning, what we see is a prayer for the safety uh, safety for believers. A prayer for safety for believers. Verses 11 through 15, he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I am come to thee, Holy Father, keep me through thine own name, uh, those, uh, keep, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So what Jesus is praying here, Lord, is that you would give these men the same strength and unity that you and I share. That's an incredible statement. That, that, that it's possible for us to enter into a relationship with God that at the very least is similar to the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. I don't know that man has ever lived that's fully, that's fully accomplished that. But it's possible. Jesus is praying here that we would be drawn to him. Notice verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them have lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And we understand this morning, this is Judas. Out of the twelve, the apostles that he assembled, that lived and worked with him for the three and a half years, only one betrayed and rejected him. And he, he was not lost because Jesus was unwilling to keep him, or because Jesus lacked the power to keep him. He was lost because it was prophesied that one would betray him and the scripture must be fulfilled. Everything that Jesus did is fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament to prove to us the the deity and the power and the way of salvation. And so Jesus continues on in verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus doesn't want you to uh, be an Eeyore Christian this morning. He doesn't want you going through life uh, in the doldrums. He doesn't want you going through life sour and angry and bitter. He wants us to experience joy, joy that comes when we give our burdens and our sin and our sickness and our disease to Him and we live our life fully engrossed in the power of God. I have given them thy word, And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. 
Now, keeping us from evil doesn't mean that it keeps us from attack. It means that we are pulled apart to him and we stand strong for the faith even in times of suffering and affliction. We want to look at this and we want to say, okay, well, Jesus here is praying that uh, that we've got joy uh, and that that means if I have joy that I can't have any suffering. As you read into the New Testament, you'll find many times that the Apostle Paul in the midst of suffering expresses times of great joy. They're singing many times in the bottom of a prison cell. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon relationships. And I can have great joy even in the midst of affliction and suffering if my relationship with my Savior is right. And Jesus is saying here, I want to keep you. Listen, the world is going to hate you because the world hates me. If my identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I have accepted Him as my Savior, and if I sanctify myself to Him, if I really try to follow the Lord, to learn of Him, to please Him, to access and experience everything that He provides for me, I promise you this morning that there will be no more satisfying relationship in your life than Jesus Christ, but I also promise you that the world will not like it and you will be hated and despised because of it. Jesus lays it out. He's not trying to sugarcoat anything. He's not trying to to disguise anything. He says, listen, Father, as he's praying, the world hates them. The world doesn't hate us this morning because the world hates us. The world hates us because it hates him. You don't believe that? Uh, just, just look and go back and uh, and look at how many times uh, even a pastor such as myself uh, would be invited, though I've never been uh, to a state legislative body, or, or when a president is inaugurated. Many times, uh, what they invite a pastor to come and pray, uh, but then they uh, they give them guidelines as to what they can and can't say. Well, you can pray in the name of God, but you can't pray in the name of Jesus. My friends, the only God that matters is Jesus. He's the one that saved our soul. He's the one that connects us to our Father. He's the one that gives us access to the Spirit. Uh, We must have Jesus. It is a prayer of safety for believers. A safety from what? Well, safety, first of all, from the world, as he discusses here. The world is not going to like what you experience in your life and the changes that the Lord brings in your life if you follow Christ. If you choose this morning to become a follower of Jesus, as you grow close to him, things in your life will change. Well, pastor, what kind of things in my life change? A lot of things are going to change. Your attitude's going to change. Your spirit's going to change. Your demeanor's going to change. It is impossible to walk through life as a Christian without joy unless my life is overwhelmed with sin. You get around Christians that all they ever have is an angry, bitter, frustrated spirit. It's because of sin in their life. That's not the life that Jesus saves us to, saved us from, or calls us to. And what I'm saying this morning as we look here, uh, that he wants to save us from the world. He does not want us to, uh, to be pulled from out of the world. The reason that he left us here is so that we could shine a light and make a difference. The reason that he left us here is so that people could see us on our cross. 
Hey, listen, as Jesus hung on the cross, uh, uh, the, they walked by and people walked by and they mocked and they spit upon him. But some put their faith and trust in him. And what he has called us to do is to bear our cross, not a literal cross, but a li- our lives a living sacrifice that as we live for Christ and our suffering in the world, that we exemplify the spirit of Christ so that men are drawn to him. Our life as a Christian, our spirit, our joy should be so powerful that it's infectious and that it draws even strangers to Him because they see a joy that they can't understand in your heart and in your life. Jesus says, Lord, protect them, Father, from the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to give them the strength to withstand the world. I'm asking you to give them the power and the ability through the Holy Spirit of God and through our word to be able to make a difference. They're in the world. We're in the world this morning by design. Back up to verse number 13 for the second part. What are we to be be protected from? And now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Listen, he's saying, Lord, protect them from discouragement. Be not weary in well-doing, the Apostle Paul would write. If you're discouraged this morning, find encouragement in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're defeated this morning, find victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're confused this morning, find understanding through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's here to answer and solve all of those issues in our life. And what he's saying is, listen, I didn't come to save you from suffering. I came to save you from hell. I came to set you free from the power of sin. And it's here. It's readily available. But you will suffer in this life. You will struggle with disease. You will be attacked by the world. You will have to undergo all of these things. But in all of this, I'm with you. And I'm walking with you. And I'm loving you. And I'm guiding you. And I'm strengthening you. And my prayer is with you. That my God might be glorified. And that you, through your life, might glorify me as you live and represent me on this earth. Jesus prays for his men here that they would not be discouraged. Because he knows that in just a matter of a, of a few hours or less that he's going to be taken into custody. That they are going to witness his trial and his crucifixion. That they are going to go apart. Jesus knows that John is going to lead more than half of them to go back to their professional way of life. Uh, and and uh, their professional careers forsaking the gospel. And he knows he's going to come to them and recover them when it's all said and done. But they can't understand that right now. But he knows. And he says, Father, protect them. Give them my joy. Don't let them succumb and be defeated. Don't let them waste my gift by living in misery. Give them my joy. Protect them from a spirit of discouragement. Protect them from the world. Notice in verse 15 also he says, in in the very last phrase there, that thou shouldest keep them from evil. That thou shouldest keep them from evil. He wants us to protect us from evil. Evil's all around you this morning. If you don't believe that you're surrounded by evil this morning, take a moment, look to your left, look to your right, and you should be satisfied. Evil's all around us. Everything about this world is against God, and everything that's against God is evil. 
I'm not saying this morning that every person out there and that everything out there is bad. I'm saying apart from God, everything qualifies as evil. And God, anything that pulls me away from him, anything that distracts my attention from him, anything that would confuse me and prevent me from trusting him as my savior is evil. And it pulls at us and it draws us because that's what's in our nature to be attracted to. Jesus has prayed for us this morning and he said, Lord, keep them from evil. Protect them from evil. Protect them from those things which would draw them away from me. I want you to notice secondly this morning that not only it is a prayer for safety for believers, but it is a prayer for the sanctification of believers. The sanctification of believers. Notice in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify comes from a Greek word that means to make holy, to purify, or to consecrate. Now, we oversimplify that sometimes because it's just easy to say that when I'm sanctified, that means I'm set apart to serve God. That's true, but that's an, over, an oversimplification of the actual definition of the word. And Jesus uses that word several times in the next few verses or a variation of it, but they all come from the same Greek word. It means to make holy to purify or to consecrate, to separate from profane things, and to be dedicated to God. It means to purify internally by the renewing of the soul. So how do I become sanctified? Well, it's to start with my soul being renewed. In just a few weeks, we'll have, uh, on, beginning on Easter Sunday, we'll have uh, a revival for the spring that will run from Easter Sunday morning to Wednesday night. We'll have extra services that week on Monday and Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And we'll be praying and asking God essentially to give us a renewal of our soul. A renewal of our walk with God. A renewal of our uh, coming into God's presence. It is a prayer for the sanctification of believers. Three thoughts about this. First, he wants us to be, and we see this in the verses following. Notice in verse number 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. See, we're sent intentionally into the world because that's we have to go to the world to reach the world. Verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself. Hey, listen, if Jesus needs to set aside himself for the task at hand and to renew his soul in prayer, how much more do we need to renew our soul from time to time? Even so have I sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. In other words, he now is saying, I'm not just talking about the twelve, I'm talking about anyone that ever puts their faith and trust in me. Those that would be reached by their word. Those who are going to hear the, the gospel preached and come to the saving knowledge of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, I have sanctified you to reach the world. In verse number 18, that's why we're here. That's our mission. That's our job. That's what we've been called to do. Not, it's not what I've been called to do as a pastor. That's what every person that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior has been called to do as a child of God. To reach the world, to reach the lost around us. 
not to go out and to, uh, to call them names and to, uh, to put them down or to make them feel as if they're uh, a second-class citizen because we're all on equal setting. We're all the same. There's not any difference uh, between uh, the worst of sinners and the greatest of saints other than the grace of God. But we have been set apart to reach the world. And secondly, we've been set apart as Jesus was set apart. We need to follow his example. Verse number 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. Follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent time in prayer. I must spend time in prayer. He spent time purifying his, his, his heart to God. And he had nothing to be purified from, but I sure do. By definition of the word we looked this morning, we must understand that what he wants from me is to be in the world, but to be separated from the world. In other words, don't be of the world. I've, I've said many times of an institution that I, that I used to go to uh, that I'm from there, but I'm not of there. And we are from the world, but we should not be of the world. In other words... I have to exist in this world, but I don't have to adopt all of the philosophies and the values of this world. My philosophy, my outlook, my values come from the Lord Jesus Christ. The world doesn't like that because it condemns them. But listen, truth condemns. We don't want people to be turned off to the gospel because of our disposition. But you can rest assured that the position of the truth of the Word of God is going to be offensive to some people. As we look this morning, he says, listen, I'm praying that you will be set apart from the world, from discouragement, from evil, and I'm praying for you that you will be sanctified, that you will be purified, that you will be put in a place where you can reach the world with my gospel. That you'll be in a place where you've been set apart as I was set apart. Just follow my example. Listen, if you ever wonder what you should do, just follow the example of Jesus. Because though he was God, he lived his entire life as a man. And though he could have called to God and had angels sent at any time, he chose to live as an example, a Holy Spirit-filled believer. Because what God did through him, God wants to do through us. Set apart to reach the world. Set apart as he was set apart. Thirdly, we see that he wants us set apart so that others will be set apart. And as others are set apart, so that we're an example to those who are in the world, that they would come to Christ. Notice in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. As Jesus Christ saved someone else's soul, so could he save mine. As Jesus Christ saved some, changed someone else's life, so can he change yours. If you're here this morning and you're dealing with very difficult things in your life, things that are, uh, that are, that are vices, if you are under the grip of, uh, of adultery, you're under the grip of, uh, of sodomy, you're under the grip of drugs and alcohol, if you're under the grips of things that are wrecking your emotional stability in life, I want you to take a good look around this morning because there's a lot of people here that Jesus Christ intervened in their life and he gave them victory over those very things and as he gave them victory over those things, so can he give you victory over those things. And that's the point here. 
And Jesus says, I'm praying for your sanctification, for you to be set apart. I'm praying that you will be an example so that that person out there that has lost hope finds the hope that you have. That person out there that is overwhelmed by the weight of their sin can find the victory from sin that you have found in Christ. You are my example to this world. They cannot see me until they see me in you. Jesus prays as he prays for our safety and he prays for our sanctification. Thirdly and lastly this morning, consider uh, that he here prays for the spiritual unity of believers. One of the greatest problems that we face in reaching the world around us is the disunity of believers in the church of God. A prayer for the spiritual unity of believers. Notice in verse number 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. We should be one. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What's he saying here? He's saying the unity of the believers speaks to the unity of God in heaven. That our unity, that our joy, that our cooperation, that our love for one another, that our support of one another, that our caring for one another speaks to one who wants to bring that to every person. He's saying here, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one. It is the will of the Lord for us to be one. Three thoughts about this. First, that means that we're in agreement as the Father and the Son are in agreement. Now, there are a lot of things that we're going to disagree about because we're all people and we all have different likes and we all have different tastes. But the one thing that we need to come together in agreement on is the Word of God. We can spend all of our time focusing on all of our own likes and dislikes, our own preferences or uh, our own, uh, the way that we like to do things, but the reality is, is that the only thing that matters is what saith the Scripture. My unity's right here. Hey, listen, uh, you know, uh, we can, we can, we face a lot of things. We have to do a lot of things, but I'm not going to require that everybody, every man at Victory Baptist Church gets the same haircut that I have this morning so that I can fellowship with you. Amen. Where's Brother Richard when I need him? (laughs) Hey, listen, there are a lot of things that we'll never agree on, but that doesn't mean we can't be unified when we're unified around the Word of God. When we're unified for the reaching of the lost with with the glorious gospel of Christ. When we come together in unity to serve and to follow with a purpose, with a plan of reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. He says to be in agreement as the Father is with the Son, also in verse 22, and and the glory which thou gavest me. Second thing I would like to mention about that is that there's a testimony of unity to the world. Verse number 21, he states it out, that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How does the world come to believe that Jesus Christ has sent us? when they see us loving them as one, as he's instructed. Not focused on self, not focused on our own needs, not focused on our own problems, but focused on Jesus Christ. It's a testimony of unity to the world. Not only that, it's a testimony of unity with the Savior. 
If we are unified with Jesus, then we will be unified with one another. Verse number 23, he says, In them and thou and me, I in them and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus was loved by God. You are loved by God. And our unity expresses that love to a world around us. A prayer for spiritual unity of believers. I, I was, uh, David and I, mostly David and I on Friday, watched a, a day-long training session with three pastors. Most of you would know their names. At least two of the three. And somewhere in the midst of that, speaking to the sense of unity and the unity of the church and cultivating that unity, uh, they made a statement that this is not word for word. I didn't have anything to jot it down with, but, but they made, this stayed with me. They made a statement that was, that was similar to this. Inward focus disrupts unity. Churches that are disjointed, churches that do not have unity, churches that have a lot of bickering and infighting, a lot of turf protection, those churches have that because all their focus, focus is on themselves. All their focus is inward. That's not pleasing to the Lord. And if you're here this morning and all that you can see is everything that kind of grinds on you and aggravates you and frustrates you, that's a pretty sure sign that all your focus is inward. I'm not trying to say by that that there are not th some things from time to time that need to be brought to my attention, things that we need to look at or to address or to correct or uh, some course changes that we need to make, things of that nature. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the constant spirit of you can't have any joy when you come to church and you're constantly oppressed when you come to church because all you can see is that person that's frustrating you or that person that you think wronged you or that person that you did or this thing that, man, Pastor, moved the offering to the end of the service. Can you believe he did that? That kind of thing. Things that don't matter because we're inward focused. We're self-focused. Churches that are self-focused, people that are self-focused always have disunity and they never have joy. But a church that's outward focused has unity. Why? Because we have a job to do. Because we have a common bond. We have a common goal. We have a common mission. We have a, the same purpose for existing. We have the same reason to be here. We have the same things to come together and pray that God will accomplish and do. We have all of that that God has given where Jesus says, I'm praying for you that you will be safe in this world. I'm praying for you that you will be set apart from this world and live for me. And I'm praying for you that you will be a unifying force that goes out a mighty army as one in step with each other with the grace of the gospel of Christ in unity with the Savior. This is a wonderful prayer this morning. And he prays on, but we need to wrap things up here. But notice in verse 24, he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' prayers, Father, ultimately you're going to bring them into my presence. One of these days we're going to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus is praying here for us, and it is a prayer of reunion. Our safety, our sanctification, our spiritual unity will bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it does, it manifests him or makes him known to the world around us. It catalogs who he is, what he's about, the sacrifice that he's made, the joy and the peace and victory that he wants to give. And it will cause people to search out the truth. He said in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. How do I come to Jesus? I must know the truth. I must understand the truth. How does it change my life? As I understand it, it begins to shape me and it begins to mold me. His prayer is that we will behold his glory and that we will share in his glory. What a wonderful Savior. God, you have glorified me. I want my children to share in that glory. I want them to share in this experience that I have with you. But only Jesus' friend can give it. It all starts when I recognize, hey, I am a sinner, and there's nothing that I can do to save my own soul. I am hopeless, and I am helpless. But there was a Savior, the one we see here praying in the garden, who has sacrificed his life on Calvary's cross, who was so powerful that death could not keep him constrained, but he rose victorious from the grave. A supernatural act of God. So, Pastor, how is that possible? The God that created life can give life again. The God that created everything that is can give me eternal life. And he did not give me eternal life to live a life of misery and defeat. He gave me eternal life that I might have joy, that I might experience his power, and that my life might bring his life glory. That lost people would look at you and would look at me and say, I want what you have. I don't understand it, but I want to know some more about it. I want the joy that you have. I want the peace that you have. I want the ability to influence people for good that you have. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from within here. It comes from him. He prayed for you this morning. If you're here, and if you died right now, if you died on your way home today, and you, and you would be honest enough to say in your own heart, God, if I died on the way home today, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. He prayed for you. Jesus, the giver of life, prayed that you would give your heart to him, that you would put your faith and trust in him. If you're here this morning and you are overwhelmed by sin and you cannot find peace and victory from it, he prayed for you. If you're here this morning and you're doing your best to live for God, but sometimes it feels like you're just doing it all in your own strength, he prayed that you would learn to walk in the fellowship of his spirit, that what we do and as we labor, we do it is in his power and not our own. If I'm living in my, in my life in the power of the spirit of God, I will not become and grow weary in well-doing, but I will walk in joy and I will walk in peace and I will have the satisfaction of knowing that my life is making a difference and an impact for eternity. Not because of me, but because one day a Savior stopped and prayed on his way to the cross that I might be safe in this world, that I might be separated for his glory, and that I might come together in a spirit of unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ to make a difference. 
Where are you at this morning, Christian? Where are you at, person, this morning that's not sure? In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. It's just we call it that because I'm inviting you to come and to have someone pray with you, to have someone share some scripture. Inviting you, if you felt that nudge in your heart, that working in your heart that just says, this is true, this is right, this is what you need. That is the Holy Spirit of God doing what Jesus promised in the Bible that he would do. So that you could come and just spend some time alone with the Lord in prayer. You don't have to talk to anybody. Just talk to Jesus. But don't miss the opportunity 